Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Not only is Bluehost Cloud our fastest web hosting available, but it's also built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today my guest is Antoine Zogby. That's not his real name. Antoine is Lebanese and has a lot to say about Lebanon. He doesn't live in Lebanon now, but to protect him and those he loves in Lebanon, we're using an assumed name. Lebanon is a country with deep troubles, yet not too many people pay attention to it, and the media barely covers it. I'll be doing a few special episodes over the coming period about Lebanon to shine a bright spotlight on this troubled country so we could all learn more about it and learn whether its troubles have a chance at being fixed. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Antoine, can you tell me about yourself and your connection to Lebanon? Sure. I, I am Lebanese. I uh, was born in Lebanon. I grew up there. I studied there. And I left Lebanon uh, in the late 80s. And, uh, and although I've been living uh, in the States uh, since that time, but what I would say is uh, I have uh, been visiting Lebanon uh, uh, on a very regular basis. Uh, and my career that has been in consulting and advisory in the financial sector, in the banking sector, has also uh, uh, has had a, a very close focus on the Middle East and, and on, on Lebanon. And uh, so I, I'd like to, to say I've had my finger on the pulse, so to speak, with regards to Lebanon for a very long time. And the period I grew up uh, there in Lebanon and, and the period I studied there, I would call it the period uh, that saw, uh, uh, if you like, the, uh, the seeds uh, being planted, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, not uh, uh, constructive seeds, but seeds uh, relating to the Syrian regime, relating to the Iranian revolution, re relating to the formation of Hezbollah, relating to uh, the birth of uh, uh, what I would uh, I would like to describe as the Islamist terror, happened during that period of time, and and throughout this period, I've been, uh, if you like, I've been shocked and amazed. At how, at, at how much the Western democracies and the Western powers have been naive in dealing with all these issues uh, that uh, eventually uh, emerged into what's now uh, the largest uh, global terror in the world. Uh, uh, and uh, again, I mean, let, let, me, let me leave it at that. I think probably best if I leave you to ask your questions. Okay, thank you. So you mentioned Iran. I always describe Lebanon as being occupied by Iran, obviously through Hezbollah. I think Iran has had some devastating effect in multiple areas of the Middle East, but one of the worst 
one of the worst countries affected so badly by Iran is Lebanon. Share with me, if you will, first of all, do you think the Iranian occupation of Lebanon is a correct way to describe Lebanon? Obviously through Hezbollah. Talk about Hezbollah. Tell me how you see things. Yeah, thank you for uh, for that question. And actually, the way you described it is 100% accurate. I've been saying this personally for for many, many, many years. And, uh, uh, you know, at some point in time, maybe one of, I was one of the very few people on this planet that, that, uh, that used to say this. Uh, if you need to understand uh, 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 the, the, uh, the big picture, you need to understand the Iranian revolution happened in 1979. This entire revolution rests on a very fundamental creed, a very fundamental religious principle, exporting the revolution. Uh, uh, what does exporting the revolution mean? Mean just to 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 to, to sum it bluntly, taking over the Middle East. Uh, so yes, Lebanon is a country totally occupied by Iran, and you're gonna see me. And apologies, you're gonna see pretty much every question you're gonna ask me. I'm gonna go back to this because this is the uh, this is the real issue. This is the late stage four cancer that Lebanon suffers from. And if you talk, I would say, to every Lebanese, whether living in Lebanon, whether in the diaspora, and you know Lebanon maybe has, let's say, four to five million Lebanese living in Lebanon. They have maybe three to four times as many living abroad. And in general, the people, the Lebanese living abroad, they tend to be highly successful, very well educated. If you ask them, uh, uh, 99% of them uh, will be talking about all sorts of issues like corruption, political elite, economic system, banking sector, uh, Middle East issues, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 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 but everything stems from the Iranian occupation. So this Iranian occupation, as I said, started in 1979. I would say it's an evil genius how Iran managed to occupy Lebanon and other countries in the region in a similar fashion. If Iran did it through its own military, directly Iranian forces storming into Lebanon, obviously the world will be in uproar. You would have Security Council meeting. You would have countries asking them to, to, to leave the country. They did it through the local population. So they established various terrorist militias, uh, religious fanatic militias all over the Middle East, uh, uh, led by Hezbollah, uh, Iran would have never, ever managed to succeed in this brilliant, when I say brilliant, I mean in an evil manner, to take over large parts of the Middle East if it weren't for Hezbollah. The mightiest, the mightiest weapon in Iran's arsenal by far, by far, is Hezbollah. And the headquarters of that evil strategy, evil plot, evil plan to take over the Middle East and to annihilate various countries in the Middle East and they talk about them openly and from there to export global terror to the world this entire strategy exporting the revolution strategy derived from Wilayat al-Faqih and again I don't want to go into too much details but basically to to the Iranian uh, regime these are God-given marching orders so Hezbollah 
has been, uh, uh, in my view, probably the best investment any state has made uh, in a country or in a, in, a, in a party or in a militia because uh, through Hezbollah, uh, uh, they, they manage now to be uh, the, one of the most influential players in, obviously, I repeat, in an evil way, in a destructive way in, uh, in the region. So clearly the problem of Lebanon is occupied by Iran through Hezbollah. And these guys have a regional and international agenda. And, uh, and to them, Lebanon is their borders on the Mediterranean. So, uh, so that's uh, really, you can attribute every single problem that Lebanon has pretty much to, uh, to this occupation. And do you think we, and when I say we, I mean Western countries, the United States of America and others, simply don't get it, we don't understand that, we are naive about Iran's intentions. What do you think is the problem? Uh, actually, this is exactly the problem. Uh, the Western powers and the U.S., I mean, Western powers, I, I, Europe and the U.S. have been totally naive, uh, uh, almost amateurs in dealing with Iran. Uh, uh, Iran has uh, has been inflicting terror uh, uh, on the U.S. and on Europe and on the world since 1979. Uh, that's more than four decades of terror. Uh, if you ask me uh, uh, to remember a, a single case when Iran paid a price, the only time Iran paid a price is uh, uh, when uh, uh, the Trump administration uh, executed a strike against Qasem Soleimani, who was one of, one of the fathers of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. So apart from that, uh, Iran has not paid a price. Hezbollah has not paid a price. And yes, to go back to your question, the naivete is unbelievable. I mean, if you now observe what's happening in Europe, you have Europe led by the French President Macron, who thanks to Macron, he clearly... Uh, has been putting effort into Lebanon when the famous, one of the largest explosions in history, 4th of August uh, 2020 happened, which by the way happened because of military-grade ammonium nitrate that Hezbollah and, and, uh, uh, and, and Iran and, 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 uh, and others were shipping to the Syrian regime to use it in, in their barrel bombs and in killing civilians, so on and so forth. Uh, Macron showed up two days later on the 6th of August, but Macron and the, and the Europeans have been literally crawling back to appease the Iranians. Uh, unfortunately, the French president, uh, uh, with all the good intentions, he, his, his, uh, his mission in life is to play a broker between the U.S. and Iran. Uh, 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 the Europeans and the Americans uh, and other Western nations are totally naive when they negotiate an Iranian nuclear deal. They actually think about the technicalities of that deal, right? So kind of, I mean, obviously during uh, the Obama administration, a deal was struck, which was uh, shockingly, uh, uh, totally, uh, I mean, uh, uh, in the favor of Iran. Uh, but more importantly, what I wanna say there is, while the Western powers are focusing on the nuclear technicalities of a deal, all what Iran wants, they are not interested in nuclear technicalities. What they want in return is a green light, a carte blanche to continue their uh, exporting revolution throughout the Middle East. And that's what the Western powers do not get. So the, while the Western powers are uh, uh, consumed and obsessed with striking a deal with Iran at any cost, and frankly, unfortunately, this is the nature sometimes of democracy where each president or each prime minister 
they want something to show for the next election. They don't realize that ultimately it's not about the technicalities of the nuclear deal and the level of uranium enrichment and how many years does Iran have before they can do this or that. The Iranians uh, are folk, uh, want the West to focus on the nuclear deal while what they are looking is, is a, 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 a green light to continue uh, exporting their, uh, their revolution. So yes, the, the Western powers are naive. Uh, they are so desperate for a deal. It, it, it's shocking that the, the ultimately the aim becomes to get a deal just so we could go, similar to what happened in Afghanistan. So basically, we want uh, for the media or for the sake of public opinion or for the sake of uh, having something to show in our hand, uh, we go and, and, and commit a, 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 a strategic disastrous mistake of historic proportions. So the same thing is happening with regards to the nuclear deal. Uh, and, uh, and, and my worry is this naivete on behalf of Western powers, especially the US and Europe, and the desperation for a deal, and especially after Afghanistan, the desperation to get the world to forget about this disastrous humiliation uh, and focus on something else. They would be uh, crawling back to get something just to say, look, we have a great achievement, a foreign policy achievement. So unfortunately, yes, the West has been naive. The West has forgotten that while they are negotiating with Iran, the Iranians are kidnapping uh, uh, Western citizens. While they are negotiating with Iran, Iran is, 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 is uh, bombing all installations or bombing ships or, uh, or committing all sorts of atrocities. While they are negotiating with the Iranians, the Iranians are committing ethnic cleansing and religious cleansing in Syria, in Iraq, and other parts of the world. Uh, and uh, and you know what? I mean, uh, you know, with all due respect, with the current U.S. administration, seeing what they did uh, uh, in Afghanistan, right, at all levels, whether President, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, 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 Frankly, the, the, the leaders of the, uh, of the military, other leaders of the military, seeing the, the amateurish way and the, income, the extreme level of unbelievable incompetence uh, 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 with someone like Taliban, the Iranians are a million times more capable than Taliban, are a million times more strategic than Taliban, uh, have been working on this for decades. So if they, in front of uh, uh, Taliban, who at the end of the day are uh, uh, people who don't have uh, even, I mean, they walk bare feet. They don't even have slippers and they manage to humiliate the U.S. So with the Iranians, considering what they've been doing all these years, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, my worry is a, a, a desperation to keep crawling to beg a deal, so-called a nuclear deal, which will be much more than a nuclear deal because strategically, to go back to the questions around Lebanon, effectively what that deal will do is officially seal the fate of Lebanon, right? And tell the Iranians, you know, Lebanon is yours, right? And, and, and here I'd like to, even if I'm digressing a little bit, I'd like to say, why is Lebanon important? Because I could, if I, I was an average, let's say American citizen, right? I would look at Lebanon and say, oh, this is a country, a small country, uh, thousands and thousands of miles away. Why should I care about Lebanon, right? 
I mean, if I want to give you some nostalgic uh, view of Lebanon, I could tell you for, uh, uh, because this is the right thing to do, this is the lawful thing to do, this is uh, uh, the, 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 if you want to support freedom and democracy, etc., etc., that's the right thing to do. I could tell you a, a very famous pope, uh, pope uh, and the saint, John Paul II, uh, uh, talked about Lebanon uh, as it's not a country, it's a message of freedom. It's, it's an example of pluralism for East and West. It's the land of tolerance. I could tell you Lebanon was mentioned in the Old Testament, was mentioned more than 71 times, I believe, in the Bible. I could tell you uh, this is a country that goes back thousands of years. I could tell you it's the, the beacon, uh, it was the beacon of democracy and the beacon of, of education and the beacon of medical care and the beacon of hospitality and the beacon of the banking sector and the financial sector and the economic development and education and women's rights. And I could go on and on. You see what I just mentioned? Throw it out of the window. The, the, the U.S. and the Western powers, although these are important issues, right? Uh, important issues to focus on, and it's important to have a good example for, 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 that, for the Arab world, for the Middle East, and so on and so forth. But I wouldn't even tell uh, uh, the Western powers, because of all this, you should do something about Lebanon, although I, I think that alone can be, should be convincing. I wouldn't even say that. I would say forget about this. Throw this out of the window. This is consider this all bullshit. I'm sorry to, to to use this term. Like like you know, let's not let's say I don't care. This is uh, I don't care about Lebanese. I don't care about Lebanon. Let them rot. Let them go to hell. They allowed Hezbollah to 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 fester all these years. Blah blah blah, etc. Fine. I'll tell you a totally a totally different thing, which is it is it is for strategic vital national interest in the U.S., something should be done about Lebanon. Not, again, not because of the reasons I mentioned earlier, but because the headquarters of that global terror, and that global terror is not just occupying and destroying large parts of the Middle East and threatening various countries with annihilation and, and forging links with all global terror networks, as, as, as I mean, maybe people in this country don't know, but all the leaders of Al-Qaeda uh, are given refuge in Iran. Uh, unlike what people say, the Iranians have always had links with Taliban and links with all sorts of, of, of terrorist movements. Uh, uh, it, as I said, the headquarters of the, and, and that global terror is not just about killing and butchering and ethnic cleansing and threatening other countries. Uh, one of the largest dealers in narcotics is Hezbollah. Uh, uh, their uh, uh, reach, uh, uh, as, as again uh, the experts here in this country know, it, 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 it's all the way to Latin America, right? It's all the way to Venezuela, it's all the way to Asia. So my point is something should be done about Lebanon, not for the sake of Lebanon and the Lebanese, although it's a nice, nice reasons to do it. It's because of essential needs to do it. Because if you want to cut off the head of that snake, the global Iranian terror, the head of that snake is headquartered in Lebanon. And that's why something should be done about Lebanon. Along the way, yes, you save the country, you save its people, you save its history, you hopefully can bring back its old glory, uh, so on and so forth. And all these are, are nice to have. But, uh, but I think the, the thing that people ought to understand uh, because most people, where is Lebanon? Why should we do something about it? Well, you should do something about it because the head of that snake, 
the headquarters of that terror is over there. And unless you cut off, you, uh, uh, you take out that headquarter, things will only get worse and worse and worse. And I'm not saying it's get worse and worse for Lebanon by default, obviously, or to Syria or in Iraq or in the Middle East. I mean, uh, uh, on U.S. soil and on European soil. There are some Lebanese who are very brave who are demonstrating against Hezbollah. They're, they describe them, themselves as revolutionaries. They, uh, call, they say they are creating an uprising. How, how scared should they be to do this, number one? And number two, how effective are they and are they getting support from the outside? Uh, uh, that's a great question, and uh, and uh, uh, my answer to you, or my answer uh, to this question, which I uh, I feel uh, uh, what I'm about to say is something I feel extremely strong about, and 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 I, I know it is a fact. Although, if you speak, say, to various Western ambassadors in Lebanon or various experts in the State Department or various foreign ministers, trust me. I would expect the answer I'm going to give you would be contradictory to the answer you will get from any one of those. Though the so-called revolutionaries, I'm going to explain to you. First of all, uh, uh, when the so-called I, I don't I don't accept it's a revolution, although they like to call themselves revolutionary. I mean, you can call it uprising, you can call it movement, you can call it opposition, you know, uh, which is fine. When this started in October, I think 17th, October 2019, right? And it was the first of its kind in Lebanon. I can tell you at the time it happened, yes, many people like you and I went out on the street. Uh, 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 they, were, uh, they had the right intentions. Uh, the people behind that, effort, let's say, the people behind uh, that, up, the, the, just let's call it the uprising or the, 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 these movements, and the people early on behind the, these movements, uh, uh, those people, uh, some or many meant well, some or many at the time uh, uh, were people uh, uh, that are not corrupt, people, uh, can be trustworthy. But what I'm going to say the following, most of them, most of them uh, uh, were scared to name things by, by name, meaning this stage four cancer I referred to, they wanted to talk and they talked and brought every other issue except this real issue. When they started, they would refuse to talk about Hezbollah. They would refuse to talk about Iranian occupation. I mean, this this was or, uh, almost uh, unheard of, right? They would talk about the economy. They would talk about corruption. They would talk about political elite. They would talk about everything except except the real issue. Why is that? Because some of those, are, while as I said, meant well and 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 uh, you can trust them. Uh, uh, they are not the brightest tools in the box, or they are terrified, and they, I mean, rightly so, terrified of Hezbollah. So they decided that to start that movement, uh, they were hoping it would uh, uh, pick up steam and, and everybody will join it. 
But the deadly mistake is is like I have a cold, and uh, 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 you know uh, I have a headache, uh, and my finger is broken, and I have a stage four pancreatic cancer. So I want to treat everything else, but the pancreatic cancer, I don't want to treat it. I don't want to talk about it. So to answer your question is, while when this started, people meant well, it was real. Uh, some of them, uh, I would I would say, naturally, uh, uh, you know, they've had, let's say, uh, discussions with uh, uh, with certain countries abroad. Some of them actually openly, for example, when let's say the French foreign minister visits Lebanon, or when previously some people in the U.S. State Department they visit Lebanon, they meet with some of those people, right? And some of them are genuine and real, and some are not genuine and not real. But to, to go back to your question, I want to say the following. Since then, we're now in, in end of the 31st, uh, you know, end of August. Uh, I would say while the, the Lebanese people are suffering uh, enormously and uh, while uh, 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 clearly uh, they are all outraged with, with the whole uh, situation, today, unfortunately, the bulk of the people demonstrating i repeat i don't want to condone everyone because some as i said mean well some are trying to make a change uh, 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 but either they are not courageous enough uh, or they are not competent enough and that's why i don't believe they will succeed it, it kind of we are uh, we crossed a, 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 what i would say a point of no return now Hezbollah and Iran have total control over the country that all these people will not make a difference. But I would like to add the following, which many people may not like me say this, but currently the people who demonstrate in the street or the people who are seen as uh, potential contenders for future election, people who are seen uh, potential candidates for you know, future positions in the government to replace the current political elite, which clearly, uh, I would say, uh, uh, more than 90% of them are, are totally incompetent. The bulk of those today are extreme leftists. Their main issue is they hate the United States. They hate capitalism. They hate anything successful. So the, the, the irony here, or the, the sad irony, is many of those people in the streets, while we in the West can look at them and see potentially, like you asked the question, can they stand up to Hezbollah? Can they unseat Hezbollah? I would tell you there are a bunch of problems, as I mentioned before. Many of them are not competent, and some of them do not mean well. But then there is even another problem, is now the bulk of those, right? Uh, uh, are extreme leftists whose main mission in life is to destroy anything American and be against Western powers and be against, by definition, I mean, kind of they, they uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, uh, romanticize about communism. They romanticize about Stalin and Lenin and all these guys. So it's sad to say it, but that's a fact. And that's why the Western powers, right, I mean, especially in this case, let's say France is very engaged. Uh, some other powers are trying to be engaged. I think it's very important to understand most of the people today that call themselves revolutionaries are people you cannot, we cannot do business with. And this is something you may not hear from many, many people because it's always ro ro romantically nice to say there are revolutionaries, 
they are not going against Hezbollah. The bulk of them are not going against Hezbollah. As a matter of fact, when this movement or uprising started, many of them tried to separate. They say there is corruption and the political corrupt elite, and there is Hezbollah and the militia. And this is the biggest, I mean, the biggest mistake one can, can make or can believe. There is Hezbollah, there is the militia and Iran. They control everything, including the corruption. The value of that corruption, any, anybody who knows exactly, uh, uh, the, let's say, the total level of debt in Lebanon and the total expenditure of Lebanon and the revenues of Lebanon and where the money went, one would understand the bulk of the value of that corruption goes to Hezbollah directly. And then other amounts go to their allies and some little, uh, let's call them uh, leftovers, they even give to those that oppose them just to make sure they keep control of, of that uh, system. That's how they control the country. And if people want to understand it better, all what they need to do is look at Iraq. Iraq should be one of the wealthiest nations on earth, right? Iraq struggles every month to pay public sector employees. Do you know why? Because Iran has the same arrangement in Iraq. So they have the umbrella of corruption is up there, right? And, and that corruption, all, all, if you like, the funds that get taken away from the people, uh, 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 from the coffers of the treasury, are given to various politicians so they could keep, uh, keep control. So anyway, to answer your question, again, I know I went on and on and on. The point is most of the people that call themselves revolutionaries are not up to the job for various reasons. And those that are up to the job are a tiny minority. And I have all the respect for them. Some of them, right, for example, you know, a guy called Luqman Islim, who's a Shia, right, uh, uh, who is a writer, a journalist, was killed. And, and, and the, I mean, killed, when I say killed, I mean 100% killed by Hezbollah, like they killed many of, of the leaders in Lebanon. So my point, there is a tiny minority that are competent uh, and courageous, but these end up uh, killed. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, the bulk of the so-called revolutionaries, again, I don't want to repeat myself, but I feel very strongly about it because I know how these people are. I know what they've been up to. I know their links and their connections. And the bulk of them cannot be trusted for various reasons, either incompetent or duplicitous or both. So let's talk about the Lebanese people at large for a moment. If... As a huge if, there would be free and fair elections. I know that's a concept hard to get anybody's arms around today in Lebanon, but let's just hypothetically say there would be free and fair elections. Would the people of Lebanon boot out Hezbollah and put in competent leadership? And there's a difference between voting to boot out Hezbollah and voting for competent leadership, and of course, actually getting that done. Is any of that in a possibility? Uh, I would say the chances zero percent, not even one percent, and I tell you why. Uh, the electoral law was tailor-made so Hezbollah and its allies would would basically uh, uh, win the bulk of the seats of the parliament in in the elections. So what you have in Lebanon, uh, and, and to answer your question, there are a, a number of 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 complications. That's why elections in Lebanon will never get rid of Hezbollah. Elections under the control of Hezbollah and elections under the current electoral law. And, and this is an excellent question because believe it or not, 
many Western powers, they think that's the solution. And they go back and forth and send messages and uh, strongly worded messages that next year, I think May 2022, make sure, like they send a message to this corrupt president we have over there, make sure in May 2022 the elections take place and so on and so forth, thinking the elections, the elections, I tell you uh, what, uh, why the elections, again, why the elections will not achieve that change. Because the way Lebanon is a country of 18 different sects and, and, and effectively, ultimately, each sect, each religion, eventually, while they vote for everybody, but, uh, uh, but the, the representation of each power is reflected based on, uh, uh, based on the support they have in their own communities. Okay, fact number one, very sad fact. But unless we know it, unless we admit it, unless we acknowledge it, uh, uh, we'll never understand why elections will not yield a change. It used to be 99% of the Shia community in Lebanon support Hezbollah, right? And yes, that has changed, right? It's down. But if you ask me, if I were bet to bet, I would say, yeah, it's not 99%, it's not 98%, it's not 95%. It's still not under 90%. And this is a problem. And again, I know we have limited time. While the occupation is there, this will never change. So the first problem you have is within its own communities, in spite of the disastrous situation uh, uh, that Hezbollah uh, caused, largely caused in Lebanon, their own communities, let's call it the Shia community, will continue vote for Hezbollah. I mean, meaning, yeah, they may go down by one, two, three, four, five MPs, but ultimately the point is they can achieve slightly lower results than the last elections, but they're going to continue to be by far the dominant force in their own community. Now, you look at other communities, the Christian community, unfortunately, while, again, it went down from before, Michel Aoun, the current president, who's the same general who destroyed Lebanon in the late 80s, right? He's the current president. He's an ally of Hezbollah. And he managed uh, uh, to have, uh, let's say, just, to, I mean, at some point it was even higher. Let's say half the Christian community votes for him and his son-in-law and his, his, his party, which automatically you're voting for Hezbollah because they are allies of Hezbollah. Uh, this has come down quite considerably in this case because many of the Christians, they realize uh, uh, what, uh, uh, a, a, uh, what a destruction Michel Aoun has brought up on them. But the fact of the matter is Michel Aoun is the president. Uh, 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 kind of, as you can see now, he's blocking the formation of government. He's, he, he's still capable of doing all sorts of maneuvers to continue uh, uh, getting, uh, while not the same number of seats he got previously, he will still get enough number of seats uh, uh, and he'll always be in alliance with, with Hezbollah. Now, I don't want to go on and on and bore you with too much details about other blocks. But my point is, uh, the problem is the following. It goes back to the original uh, uh, main issue. Lebanon is a country occupied by Iran through Hezbollah. Which country that's occupied would, would, would hold elections and expect them to be free and fair? It will never happen. So the Western powers and the people in opposition are focusing on the elections, right? But this will fundamentally not change the, the picture. 
you are under occupation. I mean, ha Assad, who's a butcher in Syria, he held elections. You know, he controls the elections. He won. The Iranians recently had elections. M my point is not elections. It has to be free and fair, and the electoral law has to be the right one. And in Lebanon, you're, you're, you're Lebanon is controlled by Hezbollah. Uh, in the past, when they lost elections, they, they, they used brutal force and violence to, uh, uh, to take power, although they lost elections. And eventually, they learned that they needed to change the electoral law, which they did, which is totally in their favor. And their community totally blindly, uh, uh, you know, for various reasons, uh, votes for them. While the elections uh, can have certain uh, amendments here and there, uh, fundamentally, it's not the solution. So last question then. You know, you make very cogent arguments as to why the world should pay attention, in particular Western powers should pay attention to Lebanon. And I agree. So many bad things can happen if we don't pay attention. You also, I think, correctly point out that we're paying attention the wrong way. But then the third leg of that stool is that it's almost as if Lebanon is doomed to stay in this place with Hezbollah controlling, with Iran controlling everything. Is there any glimmer of hope that we have that we could over time change the paradigm for the benefit of the people of Lebanon? And that will, of course, spill over to the region and beyond. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's uh, uh, one should always be optimistic and hopeful. One should also be realistic. Uh, the probability uh, that uh, the world can save Lebanon is is very low. Uh, it, it, the, 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 let's call it the international community. They need to understand one thing, among other things, that. For the Iranians, if you put in front of them a nuclear deal, right, uh, and you put in front of them money, and you put in front of them a trade and removing sanction, sanctions, and you put in front of them Lebanon, they will throw away everything for the sake of keeping hold of Lebanon. This is what the Western powers don't understand. So Western powers think Iranians are good negotiators. They want the best nuclear deal, the technicalities of that deal or uh, they want sanctions lifted. Of course they want sanctions lifted, but ultimately what the, the, the issue of most value to the Iranians is Lebanon. Why? Because it's the headquarters of that terror. And why? Because they let somebody else, Hezbollah in this case, and these militias do their dirty work. And why? Because to them, this is a historic uh, uh, Iranian uh, uh, Persian dream to have uh, uh, to be at the at, at the Mediterranean, so it's it's beyond what we think. To them, to have this, they want to be on the Mediterranean, threatening all the neighboring countries. Being able to them, they say, for example, we have borders with Israel. Israel doesn't have borders with us. Be and and first of all, we need to understand the importance of Lebanon to the Iranians. Of course, they'd love to get everything—a great nuclear deal and lifting of sanctions and the trade and 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 right. But if you give them a choice. Lebanon is priority number one. That's what the international community needs to understand. If you ask me, uh, uh, the only uh, uh, hope that Lebanon has is the following. And that's something I've discussed it in the past. And, uh, and uh, unless there is a will on, on, on behalf of the a very strong will, and, and, and with the Iranians, it should always be coupled by brutal force. 
the following needs to be imposed. At this stage, I mentioned we, we reached the point of no return. Uh, therefore, local staff, meaning hold elections, uh, 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 form a government, do this, do that, they all can you know, marginally improve things here and there. But if you really want to resolve this once and for all, what, what needs to be done is the following. First, Lebanon needs to be placed under an international mandate or a French mandate for at least a couple of years. And basically, the international community, uh, led by France because of the historic relations with Lebanon, the Europeans, the U.S., need to take charge of that country. And this needs to be very clear to the Iranians and to other powers, whether it's the Russians or whoever. And again, if you ask me, is there will on behalf of the, of the uh, Western powers to do that? I doubt it. But this is step number one. Nothing else will work. And trust me on this one international mandate whereby the international community declares Lebanon a failed state because it satisfies all description of failed state. A failed state and takes it over for a period of you know, 24 months or for 36 months, so on and so forth. The second thing, there needs to be a Marshall type of plan uh, 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 in which the world community would basically support Lebanon financially and rebuild its economy, rebuild its financial sector, and so on and so forth, right? And obviously rebuild the, the huge damage that happened in, in the explosion on, uh, on 4 August. Then the, once the international powers or the international community take hold of that country officially, then yes, 100%, you hold the free and fair parliamentary elections followed by presidential elections and held within a framework of a truly representative electoral Law. Then Hezbollah needs to be held accountable to all what they've committed in Lebanon, outside Lebanon, and their control. I mean, naturally, if you say international community will take over, by definition, this means Hezbollah should no longer have a hold on Lebanon. And then certain allies of Hezbollah, and it's important to mention, like the current president, Michel Aoun, like his son-in-law, they ought to be brought to justice and and held for crimes committed against crimes against humanity and i mean what i say because people talk about political corrupt political elite and the polit you know what the fact of the matter is i can show you by numbers uh, whether with regards the, the the financial collapse i can show you incident by incident decision by decision you will realize that more than 95% of the collapse of Lebanon politically, economically, financially, socially, security-wise, well more than 95%. And I can show you these, I mean, literally, I can take you through every decision who took it. It's only two parties. It's Hezbollah and it's Aoun and his party. Of course, there are many other incompetent politicians, many other corrupt politicians, but if I tell you more than 95% of a problem, the source is here, right? You better focus on the 95% because automatically, when you solve 95, once you resolve it and solve the 95% and get rid of it, automatically the rest will, will, will resolve itself. So that's why I stress, because many people here don't even know who, who Aoun is, right? I mean, if people know, he's probably, I mean, Lebanon is a small country and hasn't been part of the World War One and Two and what, if Lebanon, was that big country uh, like Germany or Russia or some other countries, this person, the current president and his son-in-law, would be among the most destructive people in history. And I'm going to say the following. 
I mentioned earlier, the mightiest weapon in Iran's arsenal is Hezbollah. And the mightiest weapon in Hezbollah's arsenal is the Christian cover provided to them by Awun and Basil and, and that party. Something people here sometimes don't really make the link. Uh, but this, I mean, it, it, this axis of terror that, ha, that has destroyed Lebanon over four decades includes Iran, includes uh, Syrian regime, includes Hezbollah, includes the Aounis, includes many others. But the bulk can be attributed to, to, to these uh, uh, various uh, uh, to these various characters. And over the history of Lebanon, at least the last four decades, that axis of terror, uh, uh, you know, had the CEO. It used to be the Syrian regime. Uh, uh, when the Syrian regime was, got weakened and, and was forced out of Lebanon, the CEO position was given to, to Hezbollah. The executive chairman, chairman of the board, is Iran. And within that evil construct, you have many entities, sovereign, state, militias, parties, politicians that have served that axis. And to dismantle that axis, this, uh, this is what needs to be done. Finally, I have to say this, uh, probably I, I, I know I'm kind of spending too much time on this. I mentioned to you what would save Lebanon. There is one more thing which is more important than everything I said. And this goes to the heart of the problem. Unless Iran, as a state, is held liable and accountable for all the destruction taking place in the Middle East, especially in Lebanon, unless they are made to pay a price, for example, and I know this is wishful thinking because in the Security Council, probably Russia and China would veto such decisions, but unless, unless the international community, at least the Western powers say, you know what, Iran, I estimate the destruction in Lebanon over four decades is worth $275 billion. We're going to hold you accountable and liable, and it's going to come from your own budget, from your own money. Unless Iran is held accountable and liable to all these Syria, destruction of Syria, to rebuild Syria, you need $300 billion, right? Unless Iran is held accountable and liable for this, I know Russia participated in this, the Assad regime. My point is, Iran is is the key player in all this destruction. I know we're talking about Lebanon, but it, it, it extends, as I said, this is exporting the revolution. This is, uh, look at every country run by Iran, Lebanon, Syria, uh, Yemen. I mean, totally destroyed, failed states. So uh, that's the last thing that's in, in this construct where I say put Lebanon under international mandate, uh, 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 have a Marshall type of plan to rebuild the country, uh, to support it financially and economically, hold the free and fair elections under, not under the occupation of Iran, but under the control of the international community, part of that, uh, uh, part of that solution is hold Iran accountable and liable because without this, Iranians pay no price, which has been the case for four decades. Antoine Zagmi, thank you for your frank, difficult uh, comments and, uh, you know, depressing in a way, but you, know, you obviously understand Lebanon, you obviously understand the region, Iran's destruction of the region. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, uh, Jason. I, uh, I hope uh, this proves uh, useful, at least in terms of knowing the facts. And that's the first step I believe people should, uh, especially people, countries that should be able to make a difference, to, to know the facts uh, in order to, to try at least to, uh, to solve this uh, that's a really tragic situation.
Today, my guest was Antoine Zogby. That's not his real name. He shared a lot about Lebanon. He fully agreed with my assessment that Lebanon is a country occupied by Iran, much to the devastation of Lebanon. He shared a lot of information and was critical of so many things. Of course, Antoine is only one of millions of Lebanese, both inside and outside of Lebanon, who have thoughts about today's disastrous state of affairs in Lebanon. To learn more about Lebanon and its current situation, we have to start listening to these voices. A delegation of four U.S. Democratic senators visited Lebanon in early September 2021. Among them was Senator Richard Blumenthal, who told reporters at the end of their two-day visit, quote, Lebanon is in free fall. We've seen this movie before, and it's a horror story. But the good news is it can, should, and hopefully will be avoided, end quote. Senator Blumenthal also described Hezbollah, in my view correctly, as, quote, a malignant cancerous terrorist organization, end quote. I don't know if I agree with Senator Blumenthal that the disastrous situation in Lebanon can be avoided. I also don't think I agree with Antoine's ideas of how to try to help Lebanon. We certainly have seen that movie before in Gaza, Afghanistan, of course in Lebanon and elsewhere. The reality is the United States and other nations cannot fix all the problem spots and help all people. We certainly have risk when we don't do that, and I think Antoine raises a very, very important point on that front. These are very, very tough issues. I hope you consider Antoine's thoughts and ideas and think about how you see things. If you found this podcast informative, please do share it and my other podcasts with your friends and family. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.